Um, oftentimes because of kids' behaviors, families feel like, oh my God, my kid's out of control. Like we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle them. And that's where we step in to help the kid, you know, identify their feelings or um, identify their triggers or identify those support networks. So they know like, if I'm feeling this way, this is gonna happen and I need to do this. And welcome back to You Need a Counselor podcast. My name is Dr. Julie Johnson. I'm the president and founder here at Heart and Solutions. We are still doing telehealth sessions for anybody in Iowa um, for our outpatient mental health counseling services for children, adults, adolescents, couples, families. Uh, We're also doing our in-office mental health therapy services and our in-school mental health therapy services as well. I'm Krissa. I am the vice president at Heart and Solutions in charge of our BHIS department. So BHIS stands for Behavioral Health Intervention Services, and that is the program where we go in home and work with children ages four through 18 on different behavioral skills with the child and their whole family. Um, We can also see clients telehealth, like Julie said, or in the school or in our office as well. And this is our podcast you need a counselor. So we are designed for people curious about counseling, but have barriers keeping them from experiencing the benefits of counseling. Our mission is to share stories about counseling, good, bad, and indifferent, and spread the message that everyone can benefit from mental health and behavioral health counseling services. We post every Sunday night at 5 p.m. Central. So uh, we always recommend just batch up whatever task you hate doing. Uh, Putting away laundry. I will tell you, I did not put away laundry this past Sunday. And then I paid for it yesterday because I was on the way out the door, digging through clothes, just trying to figure out an outfit to wear. Um, And so putting those outfits together on Sunday nights, huge time saver, really, really great. Definitely miss it when I don't do it. Uh, Also walking on the treadmill, put us on while you walk on the treadmill, Uh, put us on while you meal prep for the week. Uh, When I don't meal prep for the week, I have nothing to eat. (laughs) It's a bad week. Okay. So uh, we recommend set a date with us, do some task you hate doing while you listen to the show. And then that gives you the entire week to get in contact with your counselor to get scheduled or to get in touch with any of our awesome guests from that week. So today we have a very special guest. Uh, We have Lexis Onkin today here with us. Welcome, Lexis. Thank you. Uh, So Lexis is one of our very own BHIS counselors, behavioral health intervention counselors in our Cedar Rapids office location. Um, Lexis also graduated from my alma mater, UNI, University of Northern Iowa, um, in the social work program there and has a trauma-informed background uh, in, in social work. So Lexis is, we're really excited because Lexis is really focusing right now. She's studying to get her license so that she can practice outpatient mental health therapy here at Heart and Solutions. Um, She also has just a very broad background of different experiences within this field. Um, So working with children, working with adults, uh, working with uh, with individuals on the autism spectrum um, and from all different backgrounds. So uh, really, really rich kind of background and experience in the field. 
And then also, uh, Lexus definitely has a soft spot for those clients that some people might consider the tougher clients or the harder clients to work with. Um, those are those are Lexus's uh, pride and joy, <laughs> getting to work with those clients. So uh, I think that always, uh, to me, takes a very special individual, takes a very very uh, patient and kind heart. Um, and I think that you you guys all will experience that here in our discussion with Lexus today. So welcome, Lexus. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes. So uh, we call her Lexi <laughs> sometimes, but, uh, but you can call her Lexus as well. Um, so I'm always curious because it means you've got, you've got all of this experience in the field, what is it that drew you to wanting to become a social worker in the first place? So when I first started school, I had a, I wanted to do criminal justice. I was like, there's a lot of my I'm aim enjoying. at that time was troubled. <laughs> my aim at that time was troubled youth. Cause I was like, there was, there's something, there's a connection that's not missing. Um, but for me, I've always battled with my own mental health issues growing up um, with a single parent. And aside from like my mom and my immediate friends, like I didn't have that support person to go to when I was a kid. So I grew up in a really small town in Minnesota and we had limited resources. And besides like my school counselor or, you know, just those immediate people, like I didn't have anybody. So my motto has kind of always been to be that person to others that I didn't have when I was a kid. So um, it was a shift just because criminal justice to social worker, obviously like two completely different ball games. Mm -hmm. um, but once I had a conversation with a, um, a professor at Kirkwood on what my aim was, um, he was like, I really think you would benefit more from human services, social work. And then, you know, that still gives you the ability to tie in those more challenging clients or those delinquent client clients and stuff like that. So yeah, that's just kind of been my aim. It took me a long ways to figure out what I wanted to do, but I think, I think it was a good choice. Absolutely. That's my, you know, that's my background too. And, um, and we actually just interviewed Simone who also started out wanting to work in criminal justice. Um, so just really, really cool how, and, and Brittany too, right. Wanted yeah, to be a parole officer. So. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so it's just so interesting to me because I, you know, I started out my bachelor's or I did my bachelor's in criminal justice. Um, and I thought I wanted to be an attorney and, uh, and, at some point in my life, I, I may be able to turn. <laughs> we'll see it's where not. this life takes us. Um, but you know, it, it, what I found was that as I was doing this study, it was like, there are kind of two sides of this, this equation, right? There's the punitive, uh, criminal justice side of things. Um, and then there is the, the healing restorative prevention, side of things. Um, and the, the two seemed so at odds sometimes as I was learning about these systems. And I, I just thought, you know, I've got to pick a side here. Um, yeah. And that's when I got my master's was because I said, I want to be on that prevention side. I want to be on that rehabilitation side of things and not on the, you know, punitive aftermath side of the equation. Yeah. So it's so interesting that you had that same start. So you had a great counseling experience. You had a bad counseling experience. 
and you are a counselor. Uh, and I'm yeah. always excited to hear about the bad counseling experiences. Especially. <laughs> yes. Can you tell us about those experiences and, and how that kind of formed your who you are as a counselor now? Yeah. So growing up, like I said, in a really small town um, in Minnesota, we had like 20,000 people was like our population. And so, you know, being a low income family and being on Medicaid, like that even dwindled resources even more. And so oftentimes, like for myself, I probably didn't get into therapy until I was in my teen years outside of like the school counselor and stuff. But I discovered that like resources were limited. Um, When I moved to Iowa, Um, in 2015, I got sent to, um, one of our local agencies for therapy and had a really good connection with that therapist. Well, then they had this like walk-in basis, but I just thought like, oh, I've been going to sessions and I'm better now. Like, I don't need to go anymore. And then when I went to try and go back to her, she was gone. Mm -hmm. And so, I was like distraught because I was like, oh my God, like this person that I connected with is now gone. So like, what do I do? And that definitely hindered my ability to want to find a different counselor. Um, I knew I needed it, but I was like, where do I even start? Like that one person I had a connection with is no longer here. Um, And so I would say that was probably the bad experience just because like, I didn't, I mean, I, I was beside myself. Like I didn't know what to do. Um, so then I got, um, I started doing, um, I do psychiatry for my own mental health and got sent to the U of I for psychiatry. And they said, you know, I think these types of therapists or therapy techniques would be super beneficial for you. So I started looking into my own, you know, research, reaching out on Facebook, you know, does anybody know of somebody that specializes in X, Y, and Z and got sent to, a therapist that I was with for two, I think I was with her for two years. Um, and she was an owner of the company. Well, then she decided she was going to the business side of the company. Um, so then I, again, had to find a new therapist. And so um, it's hard when you've been bounced around from therapist to therapist. And sometimes that's nobody's fault, but that's just how the cards lay out. Um, but it's really hard to gain that connection when that um, relationship piece is so critical to you. Um because you don't just bond with anybody. And I've realized now that I went through school, like you have the right to say, you know, Hey, like that person's not a good fit for me. Um, and so now I'm back into having a therapist that I'm very thankful that I found just because I feel like going to therapy is honestly what keeps me sane in my work life and like my everyday life. Like I need to go to therapy. (laughs) That's awesome. So in those in-between experiences where you had to switch to a different counselor, how did you start that relationship building process with that new person? I think going from the one that I had here that was consistent to the one that I have now, um, I definitely took characteristics and attributes that that therapist had and was open and honest with my current one and was like, this is what I need. Um, My previous therapist would like interject during conversation and hold me accountable instead of just letting me ramble. And for (laughs) me, that was like that turning point of like, oh, like somebody hears the nonsense that I'm saying and needs to call me out on it. So I was open and honest with my current therapist. And um, shortly after I started seeing her, she went on maternity leave. So then I got put with another one in the office, which is she's equally incredible. But um, I was just open and honest about my needs of, you know, hey, like, 
we've tried this before, it don't work. We've tried this approach before, it don't work. Um, or we've tried these approaches and they work very well. So I've just learned to be accountable on my own end, but like, if I don't tell people, they're not going to know. So, um, just being open and honest about what I need and what's most beneficial for me. Um, okay. So then you talked about also like working with kids and adults on the spectrum too. Do you want to talk more about that and what, like, what is your other position? So, um, we did mention Lexis is a BHIS counselor here, but she has another part-time position as well with adults, correct? On the spectrum. Yep. Yep. So um, when I first moved here, I started working at Four Oaks um, and I had um, a professor at Kirkwood that I became really close with and she's still a mentor in my life. And she said, oh, I work at the autism program through Four Oaks and eventually Four Oaks is, um, I just needed a change. I just needed a break from my current position at that time. And she was like, we have an opening in the autism program. And I was like, her name um, was Monica. And I said, Monica, I have no experience with kids on the spectrum. Like I have no idea. And she was like, well, if you're willing to learn because they're all, you know, they're all different, um, then I'm willing to take you under my wing. So I was in that program for six or seven months, I think. And unfortunately they got cut due to funding. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when I continued my time at Four Oaks, um, oftentimes it was the kids on the spectrum that I bonded well with. And it was just, I learned quickly that most of the time they just wanted somebody to listen to, and I know how that feels. So I just listened. Um, and so I often would get kids that would be, you know, like, go talk to Lexus, go talk to Lexus. Like they just kind of got pushed my direction and I was okay with that, you know? Um, and then when I was at Four Oaks, I also did part-time work at the ARC here in Cedar Rapids. Um, so I did in-home goal services with clients and had a lot of the more what we would consider difficult clients um, that got sent to me because they knew about my background. Um, And so I've just generally, the disability population in general, I've always had a passion for, but kids on the spectrum just fascinate me um, because they're just like a wealth of like information. Um, And since 2000. 16, I believe I've worked with a little girl on Sundays doing respite with her and going to church. And that was mom's strict, um, like strict guidelines was like, we need a provider that knows about autism. And I still have her through private pay. It'll be five years, I believe in August or October. So, um, yeah, so my current position, my other position, I work with adults with intellectual disabilities, um, that are in a group home setting. So, um, we spend it's 24 seven care and they have goals that they work on, um, whether it be, you know, learning how to do hygiene or learning how to, um, use their manners. Like it varies client to client, but the house that I'm in currently is for five females, all with, um, an intellectual disability, more or less, um, autism. And so, it's challenging. Some days I'm mentally and emotionally exhausting because it's a lot. Um, but then I take into account that like they need people too. And so, um, that relationship piece again, plays in huge there because like they gain connections with people, you know, most of the time people on the spectrum do hold relationships near and dear to their heart. And so for me, that's been like going to that job is kind of just like, I'm going to my second house because, it's in a house, like you sleep there, you eat there, you know, you do everything there. And so, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey that's for sure, but it's, uh, every day is something new and every day you're reminded why 
like why you work in that field or why you work in this field in general. That's awesome. You sound super busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. I think in order to do all of that, to be just giving of yourself all the time mm-hmm. in all your different roles, um, it, it's, it's so important that you're also taking care of yourself mm-hmm. and also taking care of your own mental health, because yep. gosh, I mean, the, the ability to be able to, to be giving all the time in the way that you mm-hmm. are, um, it, it takes a lot of, of strength and it takes a lot of that, that ability to, uh, to have that for ourselves as well. Yeah. So I love what a role model you are too, in terms of being able to say, yeah, I am a counselor. I am a support person. I'm, I do respite care, but I have a counselor too, because I I need to, in order to be able to give of myself so freely in my life. Yeah. It's definitely been helpful. I wouldn't, I, yeah, I would be saying, I wholeheartedly believe that I would not be saying without going to see a counselor. Same (laughs) (laughs) for sure. I mean, gosh, it's, uh, it's so important. And, and I think in this field, uh, especially, you know, but really in any field, uh, it's so important to be able to do that because, you know, sometimes we think about the helping, the helping profession, we think, okay, well, we're, you know, we're giving to others, we're, we're giving of ourselves to others, we're helping others. Uh, but really, I mean, if, if we work in a factory, we're giving of ourselves to others. We're helping right. others, you know? And so in any field that we're in retail, anything, um, if we're, if we are at our best and we are at our most healthy, um, then we're able to give of ourselves in whatever field yeah. that we're in. Wow. So can you tell us more about, so we've, we've brought up the autism spectrum a bit here. Can you share more with us about what that means? Cause some of our listeners might be going, ah, kind of know what that means, right? Can you kind of share that with us? Yeah. So, I mean, I truthfully like don't know the exact, like I know about autism, but like wholeheartedly, like I don't know the specifics and the ins and outs, but the best explanation I can give is that their brain just truly functions different than ours. Um, whether that be um, behavioral, you know, like some have issues with like potty training until like late on in their life. Um, some have like issues understanding sarcasm or like when things are funny. Um, and so that's honestly the best like explanation is like they just their brains are wired differently, which is OK. And that's great. Um, but I've learned when I first started in the autism program that when I was at Four Oaks that sometimes you really just have to get on their level, even though it might not make sense, but that's just how you're going to connect with them. I mean, I've had kids that were fascinated with electronics and vacuums and just like the most bizarre things. And it's not the item itself, but it's like the components that make up the item as to why it is the way that it is. Um, so with autism, there's, you know, nonverbal, which people, they don't talk, they don't communicate. They do to a point, like they can say, you know, specific words that their family might understand or that their school might understand, but like having full on sentences, they don't, they don't know. I wouldn't say they don't know how to do it, but they just, they don't do it. Um, and then you have some that are fully, they fully communicate 
Um, at my other job, we have five total in our house and two of them need assistance with everyday tasks and three of them follow a schedule. Um, so in the autism population, a schedule is very critical and crucial um, for them to understand what's going on now and what's going on next. It's that transition component that they really struggle with. So for us, we just know like, you know, we wake up, we brush our teeth, we go to the bathroom, so on and so forth. But for them, it's like their brain doesn't necessarily prompt them on what to do next. Like they don't know what their next task is. And so that's where that visual component of like, okay, you do this at this time, this at this time. Um, and that could be as simple as like a pull away chart, you know, like this is your to do side and this is your done side. Um, but for my girls at my other job like that, um, that works very well. I mean, some days they use it, some days they don't. But overall, that's what they need to be successful throughout the day. I love that. I, I love how you're talking about, you know, that spectrum and it is such a wide spectrum yeah. uh, of, of differences within individuals. Um, and I also loved what you said about you're so strength based. I love what you said about like these kiddos are a wealth of information, mm -hmm. like like an encyclopedia on whatever topic is of interest. Yeah. Right. Yep. And um, I, I think of one kiddo, uh, not a client. Right. But that uh, that Krista and I know. And, oh my gosh, this kid would tell you like all the different flavors of a certain candy, right? He'd tell you like every character in a video game or in yeah. a comic series or like in great detail. And it was, it was like he had it in front of him reading yeah. it, right? But he's just saying yeah. it. <laughs> and he'd be yeah. like, how are you doing that? Um, right. And so I just think it's so... Uh, it is in that way. It's such a superpower sometimes because it it's like, oh my gosh, like I could not tell you every, you know, character in, in a series, or I could not tell you um, every piece of a vacuum cleaner, or how a toaster yeah. works. Like, I mm -hmm. don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. not, like my brain just doesn't do that. Um, but, you know, having that ability and then being able to use that ability, um, mm -hmm. for good is just, is, is amazing, you know? Um, so I think that that's just wonderful. Just being able to say like, yeah, we all have our superpowers, you know, and for some people like that's one and that's amazing to me. Um, and being able to <laughs> the schedule thing, I always, uh, think is great because like, I, I don't personally, like my brain also doesn't know what to do in the morning. Like I wake up early in the morning. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'll like stand in the kitchen. Right. And, um, and so I have a daily list also, yeah. and it'll be like, put on hot water now. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Eat breakfast, brush your teeth because otherwise I won't do it. Like, I'll just yeah. like, I'll find other things to distract myself. Right. So yeah. I love that technique. Uh, for anybody. Um, yeah. it's just, it's so helpful to be able to, to have that list and know what I've done, what I need to do. Uh, and then our minds are freed up for other more interesting things yeah. like the vacuum cleaner. I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, uh, so it sounds like most of your counseling experiences were here in Iowa, um, which is great because uh, yeah. Iowa doesn't always have as many counselors available um, as maybe other states. I grew up in Massachusetts and there's like a counselor on every block, right? But um, in Iowa, we're so spread out. So I love that you were able to get connected uh, to counselors and that even after a counselor 
transitioned for some reason, you were still able to build that counseling relationship back up yeah. um, with a new person. That's really hard to do. It was definitely. What would you say your favorite part about the behavioral health intervention counseling? Well, actually, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? And then what are some of your favorite parts about doing that? So we provide services in home. um, And like Julie said, in schools to kids that have behaviors Um, that can look like not accepting the word no to punching your brother because he made you upset. I mean, there's multiple different behaviors that I've seen. Um, Sometimes they're just mind blowing because you're like, why is this happening? But um, we provide services and skills and interventions for kids to work as a family or not kids, but families to work as a family. Um, Oftentimes because of kids' behaviors, families feel like, oh my God, my kid's out of control. Like we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle them. And that's where we step into help the kid, you know, identify their feelings or, um, identify their triggers or identify those support networks. So they know, like, if I'm feeling this way, this is going to happen and I need to do this. Um, and then with the family aspect, that's a way for the parents and the families, um, not even all the time parents, but just guardians in general to work with the kid, to get them back from 100 to zero, instead of going from zero to 100. So, um, as far as favorite, um, I can't necessarily say I have a favorite just because like the spectrum of what I've done and what I've seen be done is just so um, like, it's so wide, but I definitely like just being creative and kind of letting the kids do things as they want. As far as like, if you're doing an activity or a game and they're not playing it correctly, I mean, what difference does it make? You know, if they're making it up and going along with how they want to um, it's okay. Like it's, I've learned that you really just have to let kids be kids um, kids have enough problems and stressors in their life as far as in school or, you know, bullies and stuff like that. And just letting them be a kid and just showing them that like, it's okay to be silly and it's okay to be goofy. Um, and it's okay to feel that the way you feel, um, is incredibly important just because if you don't allow that, then I almost guarantee like, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to be right back to that kid shutting down that kid refusing and that kid not even, not wanting to do anything, period. Um, That happens. I have a few kids right now that are challenging and difficult. And sometimes you walk in prepared and it doesn't go that way. And you just kind of have to play it out. Um, I've learned that you just don't power struggle with kids or people in general, because you're not going to get anywhere and it's not going to make you sleep any better at night. So why just, just let it be how it is. I mean, obviously limit, you know, safety concerns is obviously a thing, but if it's not, if they're just blatantly refusing, I mean, you can try, but I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do. So you just continue to try and build that relationship and understand that they have bad days, just like we do. What are some of your favorite session activities that you've done with kids? Um, I would say, um, so my younger, like I have some that really like being crafty and creative and some that really don't. So, um, in our first, um, like one of the first few sessions with a few of my, um, more so my female clients, the boys really didn't really connect with it at much, but we did like a, when I'm angry, I can, and it was a board full of different coping skills. So I just went on Google and found like coping skills as in like the word form and then use those to Google pictures of what those look like. Um, And then the kid was able to pick like 
I like to pet my dog or, you know, I like to play with a fidget spinner. And then we just made like a collage, which you can do with magazines and stuff too. But I didn't have magazines at that time. So I just made do with what I had, but that's one of my favorites just because you just really get to see that creativity side and that the effort that they put into it, but more so like, does that, you know, are they going to take it seriously or not? Like sometimes they might not. And sometimes they might, but, um, I also like to do one that, um, you cut out like headings that say, I am, I'm not, and I want to be, um, and then you print out some like attributes and characteristics, and then they decide like, am I funny? Am I not funny? Or do I want to be funny? And then there's like a hundred different characteristics I have. And then at the end, they choose in the I am category, like which one's the easiest for them to be in the I'm not, which one are they super thankful they're not. And then in the, I want to be like, which one do they really strive to be more of? Yeah. I love that about behest. People always ask like what your favorite part is. And I was like, you're like, you said, you're just being creative and like doing games with kids all day or at crafts with kids all day. And yeah. I mean, you're doing work too. You're working on those skills, but like yeah. from the outside perspective, you're literally sitting there like making a collage or playing yeah. Uno or whatever with the kids. It's crazy how many games I've learned that actually have like some therapeutic component some way or another behind them. Like it's, I mean, and quite honestly, you can make things as they are. I mean, Google, I've seen lots of stuff on Google, um, but it's just, it's crazy how the games are they were never made for that, but they definitely can be used for that. Yeah. I just did an orientation last week and they were asking something about like, like, how do you know what to do in your session or what do you do before a session? And I was like, well, eventually you're just gonna be able to wing it. Like now you're at the point where you can just like take a game and bring it to a session and be able to turn it into a skill without, I don't know, prepping beforehand. But definitely I remember at the beginning having to like Pinterest look up all that stuff beforehand. Yeah, I definitely just like print out a bunch of worksheets or like there's a website that has like feelings, puzzles and like crosswords and stuff, just because I know like if I have a worksheet planned and the kids just not having it, um, I'll try like a funner activity like the worksheet because that way we're still working on something, but it's just not them feeling like, oh my God, like I'm in school again, you know, mm-hmm. and, or if we're not getting anywhere at all, like, Hey, what game do you want to play? Like again, that's that relationship piece that you're continuing to try and build. And if a kid's already upset and had a bad day, like you're more than likely not going to get very far. Yeah. That relationship piece is so important. Um, and you've, you've kind of brought it up a couple times here, even in this conversation, I think that really just speaks to how important that is, um, you know, being able to to develop those therapeutic relationships because it doesn't come easily to some no. people, you know, like it, there are some people, my daughter is going to be six and I don't know where she gets this from. It's not from me, but like, she just like makes friends everywhere she goes. Okay. And I, I'm always like, how are you doing that? Okay. <laughs> because it says it's, it doesn't come naturally to everybody. Right. So sometimes yeah. it's because of uh, traumatic experiences. Sometimes it's because of uh, relational challenges, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just because we are introverted. We're more comfortable by ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so there's all these different reasons and, and they don't necessarily have to be positive or negative. They're just who we are. Um, yeah. But building relationships are so different for different people. You know, it might, 
my parents will make friends in the bathroom at a play. Like they will like be in line for the bathroom and they'll come back and be like, this is so-and-so we're going to go get drinks after. And I'm like, okay. Um, (laughs) Like, and then for other people, it takes time. It takes time to build that trust up. Um, And so that's why I think it is so important. I think you're highlighting that to build that trust and to not have that adversarial relationship, especially when we're working with any child, um, because it is so easy to get into a power dynamic with a child uh, because I'm an adult, you're a child, right? So that's already kind of built in. And then like what you said, um, getting on their level, right? Being, putting ourselves on the child's level so that there's more equality in that relationship than, you know, while you're a teacher or you're, you know, a parent or somebody else that I need to have a a power dynamic with. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's awesome. And like you said, kids get that all day long. (laughs) Like they're told what to do from the moment they get up to the moment they go to bed. And sometimes that session time is the only time in their day that they can do what they want to do freely. I've definitely learned too that oftentimes like some kids like just want to show a different person something. Like I have two boys that have their brothers and they've mastered like doing these flips on the trampoline, which is phenomenal. And they love showing me like they love showing me that they can now land it or that they can do it twice or whatever the case may be. But it's different because it's not mom and dad. Mom and dad can see them do it all day. But that moment someone steps new steps into their house they're like oh I've learned this skill and I can show them and just being receptive to that and not being like nope I have this plan you know obviously you want to get what you have planned done but if they want to show you something on the trampoline take 10 minutes and let them show you on the trampoline Mm -hmm. yeah I think a lot of times yeah like you said it's just showing someone else or getting that positive attention from yeah and that positive feedback from somebody that's outside of immediate family Mm mm-hmm Um, Okay, so we're talking about games then that you can turn into like session activities. What's an example that you've done in session with like a board game or a card game that isn't normally used for that, but that you've been able to turn into a session activity? That's a hard one because I've used a (laughs) lot, but um, it's not, I wouldn't necessarily say a session activity, but I've recently discovered, I never played this game as a kid and I'm not sure like how I rediscovered it, but the game Mousetrap is Uh like, (laughs) it's just because like, the motive is I always really wanted it as a kid and Same. I never like I saw the commercial all the time as a kid and I was like I want that never did yeah I um so that one in general is just like I mean it's strategic but it's like problem solving skills because like obviously depending on where you put your mouse like it's not going to get in the trap and just like setting it up is like a whole nother that takes forever number one but (laughs) setting it up like that's a way for them to problem solve like they're problem solving how to put components of things together and in their everyday life they're problem solving how to put things together that don't make sense um and so um uno like you said i mean that one in general because of the four colors like those go with the um I always never remember what they're called, but the four stages of emotions, like your happiness is green, your sadness is blue, your fear is yellow and your anger is red. And so when I first started Be Hiss and did my shadowing sessions, um, she made it where, you know, when you lay a red card, like you tell a time when you were angry or something that makes you angry. And so 
you're still playing Uno, but you've just revamped it into an activity, you know? And so, um, yeah, I was going to say, I also have, um, it's sequence, but it's number sequence. So they've added math equations into it, which is great. But most of my kids, like when they first saw it, they were like, no, I don't like math. And I was like, just, just hear me out. Like it's not hard (laughs) math. And now like, that's the most requested game ever. And again, that's problem solving and not that our kids have like school goal, you know, but like, I mean, you're working on math, but you're also doing something fun. And so you're doing two things for the price of one. And so now that's like their most requested, like, do you have that game? Um, and now I just have like a tote of games in the trunk of my car. So <laughs> I just, you know, drive around with them. Oh, yeah. When I was doing behest, my trunk of my car looked like a toy store. Okay. Like it just like you'd hit the button, hatch would come up and it would just be like all games and toys. Yeah. Like Jenga would always like spill all over my backseat. Don't bring Jenga with you. <laughs> Never stayed in the box. But I was gonna say I have Jenga, but I have it in a bag. Like I have it in as a black bag. But that's another one where you can find colored Jenga blocks um, or write numbers on them. But you can find questions on the internet that associate with whatever number you pull. And so I have a color Jenga that comes with a dice. So you roll the dice and that's what color Jenga block you have to pull. Um, and then that has a number on it. And I use that for like the get to know you like the first couple sessions or whatever, um, just because the questions are like, you know, what are three things you would take on a deserted island? Or if you had a restaurant, what foods would you have? Like they're definitely like extraordinary questions, but they get their conversation piece. Yeah, that's really cool. That emotions, you know, always reminds me of inside out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh because joy is yellow, right? And the red She's one green the is red, yellow. Okay. And then yeah. like the green the red one is anger. Right? Yep. And sadness is blue. Yeah. Sadness is blue. <laughs> so cute. You guys, sadness is my favorite one, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> when she's like when joy is like dragging her down the corridor because she's so too exhausted to go and then like she's touching all the members a lot I like that movie in general it's my favorite it's a great movie too in general too we used to do uh inside out bingo I don't Mm -hmm. know if you guys still do that but that was always fun um because it was like all each of the characters was a bingo on the top and then you had to uh, do different emotions for each of the squares. It's pretty cool. I have like an inside out board game that I found that's just like on an eight Ooh. by 10 piece of paper that I laminated. I think it's in our resource file, if I'm not mistaken, but um, it's the same concept. Like you roll a dice and you pick your pawns or whatever. And then like when you land on a purple, which I think is like silly or pink or whatever, like you tell a time that you felt silly or something that makes you feel silly. And so worst case scenario, like that's just in my little binder thing. And, um, but I also have like an inside out sheet of different emotions that are, you know, cause more than just angry, like there's other feelings associated with being angry. And so just kind of that reminder that like, there's all these other feelings within those emotions. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Gosh, I wish behest was a thing when I was a kid. Same. Like, <laughs> I hear all these sessions all the time and I go, oh my gosh, I wish I could do that when I was in second grade or third grade. I would have loved behest. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got your quote here and I, I love this quote. It says, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be ha- happy. 
Um, and that is beautiful. Where does that quote come from? So I actually, so there was a couple years ago, there was a, a girl that had performed on, um, I want to say it was X Factor. Um, and she um, had cancer and actually just passed away a few months ago. Um, but that was like her, um, that was her quote, like that came from her. And that was when she, you know, they were like, why are you focusing on singing? Like when you're practically dying, like you're on the verge of dying. And she just, you know, made the comment that like, you can't just wait until things are okay. Like to be happy, like you have to continue going even when you feel not okay. Like, and it just, when I saw that, and then like, even knowing like she passed away, I was like, oh my gosh, like it just, it really stuck with me. And I literally just instantly like wrote it in my phone. And that's just kind of been like a, a constant reminder that like, it's okay to not be okay, but you still deserve to be happy. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Nightbird, right? Yep. Nightbird. Oh, beautiful. She's got beautiful. a very, I was going to say, she's got a very pretty voice too. Gorgeous. I remember that audition mm-hmm. and uh, like Simon was crying. Yeah. And I, think, <laughs> she, I feel like she got, I want to say she golden, got buzzer. golden buzzer. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I remember. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the quote really speaks to, and I think her story Mm -hmm. really speaks to kind of this addiction that um, I think is kind of prevalent in society right now, which is this uh, destination addiction, right? Destination focus. And when I have this, I'll be happy. Or when this changes, I'll be happy. Or if I go do this or accomplish this or buy this or have this or, you know, or go to this place, then I'll be happy. Um, Or when this, you know, phase of life is over, then I'll be happy. And it, uh, and, you know, it becomes so prevalent. I think that we don't always stop to think about it and to acknowledge that, that that might be happening and that might be contributing to some of our own unhappiness, you know, and, um, and I'll catch myself in that, um, in that cycle sometimes. Right. And I'll go, you know, I've got a young child, which is a difficult (laughs) phase of life. I, you know, it's all because sometimes catch myself being like, Oh, when she's older, like, it'll be, you know, my life will be more peaceful. Right. Or, um, or I'll think like, uh, you know, when I was in school, you know, I, you guys can relate to this, like when I was in school and I was like, okay, when I'm done with school, like then my life is going to be more peaceful. That did not happen. (laughs) Right. Uh Like it didn't get less busy or better any, you know, and, Um, but I'll catch myself doing that. And I think in some ways it's a coping skill. And so in some ways it's beneficial to us, right? In some ways it can kind of help motivate us through a tough time. It can kind of help us get through, but when we kind of consistently do that and then, you know, complete the next thing and go, Oh, that didn't, that didn't make my life the way that I wanted it to be. Right. I, I don't feel like I deserve to be happy yet. Right. So now I've got to go do this next thing. Um, and maybe when I do that next thing, I'll feel like I deserve to be happy or I'll feel like my life is good or complete. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just this cycle that we can get into. And I think what, what, uh, what Nightbird's quote really reminds us is that no, we're allowed to be happy right now. It is a decision to be happy. Our circumstances don't impact how we 
feel. Our circumstances yeah. don't have to impact uh, who we are or how we act towards others or or what our thoughts are about our circumstances, right? Those are external things. But no matter what's happening, I mean, she was she was battling multiple cancers. Um, and no matter what, she still got to choose who she was yeah. and how she coped with what was happening and what her feelings were going to be. Um, yeah. And I just think that that's, that's so beautiful and such a great reminder for all of us. I think, I think oftentimes people get focused on like those big things, like you were saying, making them happy, but like, even for me, and I've been guilty of that. I mean, I don't know who hasn't been guilty of that, but I often remind myself that like, sometimes it's truly the little things, you know, like your favorite song coming on in the car or seeing a sunset or somebody texting you something like there's little pieces that can make up your happiness too. But some people unfortunately don't know how to recognize that. And that took me a long time to realize that like, just because things are bad or not going how I want them to go, doesn't mean like I can't be happy by doing or experiencing other things. Like it's good for those things to happen, but it might not be tomorrow that it happens. So you just have to continue on where you're at and make changes as you see that bit. It's uh it's the trampoline, right? It's like where as adults we get, you know, and, and somehow sometimes like we, we lose that, that joy we had in childhood of like, I'm going to do a tramp trick on the trampoline. Come watch me yeah. do this. Like there's such joy in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then as adults, we get into our lives and we get into our routines and all of our to-do lists and all of our stuff. And then we, and, you know, and all of our grown-up identity, all the stuff we're supposed to be and do. And then, you know, we, it sometimes crowds out those, like you said, those little things, like, mm-hmm. come watch me do a flip on the trampoline, yeah. right? Those, that is what life is about. That is, those are those joyful moments. Um, and they sometimes get edged out by all the stuff that we're supposed, supposed to do. Um, so yeah, I love that. What a great quote and what a great, um, what great words to live by. Gosh, I remember when she passed away. Um, cause it, it wasn't that long ago. Uh-uh. Wasn't that long ago. And it just, uh, I think, you know, I think that she had made an impact on, uh, on culture and pop culture, uh, initially, um, but I think when she passed, uh, even more so because it, yeah. it really, I think highlighted, um, the bravery and courage that she was demonstrating, not just in her, her physical actions, right. Of going to treatment and still, and going on this show. And I don't remember if it was X factor or America's got talent or, but it, it was one yeah, of them. Something. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just remember that Simon was crying. So it could have been either one. <laughs> Um, but you know, not only in those actions, you know, when we think about bravery, those are the things, but the bravery to be happy amongst those circumstances, uh, is just so inspiring. She was literally doing what she loved in the midst of like losing her life. I mean, her life could have been over any second and, you know, obviously, who doesn't want it, but she was aware that that's what was happening. Like she knew that's what was happening, but she still had a goal to be happy, to make her dreams come true, even if they were short-lived. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just kind of reminds us of how short, how short it all is and how short it all can be. Yeah. 
uh, even in the best of circumstances. And, uh, and it's, it's very honoring to her um, that you would live your life by, by this way of living. I love it. I think it also acknowledges just that everybody does have challenges in their lives, you know, and we uh, sometimes we think that either we either minimize our own challenges or we minimize other people's. right? And so there's a lot of minimizing of challenges that happens in our society. Um, And either we compare ourselves to other people and we go, oh, I I, sh- I can't feel bad about these things, right? Because other people have it worse or yeah. we see other people and we don't see their challenges, right? We just see their, their outcomes. We see their outputs. We see uh, the things that are on the outside and, and we can have a tendency to minimize those things. And I think what, what this uh, way of living, this quote uh, really highlights is that we all do have them. It's, it's an equalizer. We all have these challenges and, um, and especially mental health challenges. I think sometimes in our society, there's the separation of people with mental health diagnoses and people who don't have them. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. somewhat rare to see somebody who does not have one, like, like honestly. Um, and, and so, you know, this idea that no, we're, we're all actually on a spectrum of mental health. Um, and that, you know, sometimes we might be on the healthier side because we're working it. And sometimes we might be on the unhealthier side because we're going through something, but at any given time, we're, we're on this spectrum somewhere. Um, just like everybody else in the world, I think is so important. If you could give one suggestion to somebody who might be on the fence about starting counseling, what suggestion might you get them? I just from personal experience, like to seek out and find whoever, I mean, even if it's uncomfortable, like that was my biggest challenge was it was uncomfortable. Like I didn't like change. I didn't want to find new, like I wanted who I had and I didn't like, I couldn't. And so I knew that personally, like I needed it, but I wasn't going to find it unless I reached out or, you know, looked online or whatever the case may be. So do it if it makes you feel uncomfortable. And like, I need to take my own advice because even not in this situation, but it some things are uncomfortable and everything's not meant to be comfortable, but mm. it could honestly, like with counseling or anything, like it could be a great decision and sometimes it might be a bad decision, but just do it if it's uncomfortable. I mean, you're not going to know unless you try. And clearly that was my case. And now I found somebody who is a good fit for me. And that's great. But had I have not done my own research or, you know, whatever the case may be, who knows where I would be right now. I love that. I love that you acknowledge that it is uncomfortable. Like it's not, it's not natural for everybody to go into some stranger's office and answer a bunch of questions about your life and about who you are. Um, it can feel very invasive. It can feel very scary. We're putting ourselves in a vulnerable story over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we're in a vulnerable position. We know what it felt like the last time we had to tell that story and then we got through it, but now we got to do that again. Right. And we don't know if we're going to get through it. Okay. In the same way that we did before, because this is a totally different person. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I love that you're acknowledging that like, yes, it is uncomfortable. It is like, we can't sugarcoat it and say it's not awkward. It is awkward. That first, 
that first time. And sometimes it's awkward for like two or three months as you get to know Mm -hmm. somebody. Um, And you might not trust that person at first. And it's okay to not trust them at first. You might never trust that person. If you don't, then that's not the person for you. Right. So, uh, so I love that you acknowledge that like, no, it is awkward. Like it can be, it's like, it's not comfortable, but that it is, it is worth it. As long as we, uh, we acknowledge, we give it the try, acknowledge if it isn't the right fit, we acknowledge that. And we move forward because that is Mm -hmm. the way that we're going to get to that person that we can build that, that, uh, sustainable relationship with. Yeah. I also love that you identified in your story that even in the situations where it didn't work out long term, mm-hmm. that those were still beneficial experiences for you. Yeah. Right. And sometimes our therapists go on maternity leave. <laughs> like sometimes our therapists move to a different state. Um, mm-hmm. They're humans just like we are. And, uh, and that even if that happens, even if this isn't my therapist for the rest of my life it's still a beneficial experience or it can yeah. still be a beneficial experience while we're together. Yeah. I'm Lexis Unkin and I need a counselor. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Me too. So does Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Everybody needs a counselor. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely love it. And you know, I know we just did the sign off, but one other thing that I just love from this <laughs> want to highlight is that you you talked about stopping seeing that counselor because you felt like things were going well and then meeting them again later and I think that just really highlights the importance of just that consistency even when things are going well being able to have that relationship built up so that when we do meet that person we're right there with them so I just thought like oh I've gone to counseling like I'm good to go and I don't need them no more (laughs) and that was not that was not the case Uh uh-huh love that yeah it's like you know if you if you go to the gym and you lose 50 pounds then you're like oh good I don't need to go to the gym anymore (laughs) like it's that it's that same idea it's like no I gotta go for the rest of my life (laughs) or like when you're taking antibiotics like when you stop taking them because you feel better and I'm guilty of that because I do it all the time. But you stop taking them because you feel better, but they're not exactly effective unless you take all of them. Yep. I love that analogy. That's a great one. We're going to use that again. On oh, my mom <laughs> reminds me of that every day. Like, not every day, but every time I'm on antibiotics or something, take them all. Awesome. So if you are in Iowa, um, give us a call at 800-531-4236. If you are in the Cedar Rapids area and you have children and you'd like to get them signed up uh, for some sessions with Alexis, they sound like really, really fun sessions and very effective sessions. So uh, give us a call there as well. Um, Lexus also offers telehealth sessions. So if you're in Iowa, you've got kiddos, um, but you're not in the Cedar Rapids location, that's okay. You can do sessions over the phone or over the computer. And like Julie mentioned at the beginning, we post new episodes every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central. So save up that laundry or meal prepping or walking on your treadmill or whatever task you hate doing and listen to us at the same time that you're doing it. Um, And we can help prep and prepare you to call a counselor or get set up with services that week as well. Um, So if you have any questions for us or for Lexis, you can reach out to You Need a Counselor Podcast on our Facebook page, or you can send us a DM at You Need a Counselor Podcast on Instagram as well. 
So I'm Krissa Hunt. And I'm Julie Johnson. And we need a counselor. And so do you. Bye. Bye.